we are beginning a new adventure today. A new adventure today, and I'm telling you, it's big, and it's otherworldly, and it's full color, it's HD, it's surround sound, it's four-dimensional, and uh, it's mind-blowing, and it's fear-raising, and it's faith-building, and it's hope-giving. And it will require us to see pictures and places and beings and powers, address issues, ask questions, and at times be okay with having no idea how to answer it. Because the unfathomable means that some things are unanswerable by us. And that's a good place and a good thing. It's going to stretch us. It's going to scare us. It's going to stun us. It's going to bless us. And it is the book of Revelation. So, turn to the book of Revelation. I want to let you know we are going to enter it carefully. And by the way, when a pastor, a preaching pastor says that, that's code for slowly. <laughs> so you know. Um, I kind of have to get some of my, literally, my mojo going in this book when we come into a new series. And so just so you know, here's what's going to be happening. Uh, we're probably going to be spending three Sundays in chapter one. Uh, today is one of those. And today really is about us bridging where we just came from, from a series through the gospel of Mark. And bridging that over into seeing Jesus in Revelation here. I want for you to know that there's a purpose behind why we're doing the books we've been doing. I'll tell you that in just a second. So we're going to be spending today, and then we're going to be coming back and really walking our way through chapter one for a couple Sundays for the purpose on really preparing ourselves and setting ourselves up to how do you go and handle and study apocalyptic epistolary type of material here that we have on the table. So we're going to be doing that for three Sundays, and then we're going to be spending one Sunday on chapters two and three. Well, that's quite a fast run through two chapters. Well, the reason for that is, as a church, before we had moved into the building in fall of 2013, we had gone through the first three chapters. And so actually, chapters two and three in the seven churches, those sermons are online. You can go and access those if you want to, but we're going to be doing a summary of those on one Sunday. And then, uh, Lord willing, um, by Mother's Day, we're going to be in chapter 4. And you're like, in Revelation for Mother's Day? Absolutely. And listen to me. And I'm serious about this, because now if you're like, I don't know if I want to bring somebody. Chapter 4 is an amazing place to be. And I'll say, women, moms, you need to be reminded of what's happening in chapter 4 to give you encouragement and purpose and sight into what's going on and what you're doing. It's going to be a great Sunday. Now, you may not know this on the overall, but we are in the midst of really what is a two-plus-year preaching uh, process, an emphasis that started uh, and is all about making much of Jesus. We don't have a banner with an annual theme, but I just want for you to know 
this has been strategically going on. And in fact, you can see on the screen over here was Jesus Christ Supreme. That was our study when we moved into the building through the book of Colossians, through the epistle of Colossians. And it was about see Jesus Christ Supreme. And then we've just wrapped up our series on the gospel of Mark about being amazed by Jesus. And now we're entering into the book of Revelation on Jesus Christ revealed. And we went into Colossians, really, because Colossians sets a foundation of truths about Jesus Christ. For example, chapter 1. He was the one who created all things. All things. He was the agent of the Godhead to create all things. And it's telling us things about Jesus Christ and his supremacy. And so we went from those foundational truths to, through the Gospel of Mark, to be able to see the incarnate Christ, the, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh before our very eyes, if you will. But as we'll be talking about today, we can't leave him there. And what we're doing is we're coming over to Revelation, ultimately, to be able to see Jesus Christ and who he is and the reality of who he is, I'll even just say this, now today. And that's what's been happening, and we did all this as well. I'll just note we did all this because so often when you move into a facility, churches have a way of kind of getting about themselves, losing track of what they're about and where they're going. And we want to make sure for like two years <laughs> that this church knows in this building and everything that's happened, we are about Jesus Christ. And so we're driving the stake strong for a couple years, and I want for you to know Revelation is part of a three uh, text books of the Bible series all fitting together on purpose. Well, Jesus is the beginning to the end focus of redemptive history, and that's why it's all about him. He is the beginning to end of redemptive history. And I wanted to take just a few minutes here and kind of, if you will, physically show you in your Bibles what we're talking about, okay? So let's go to the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse of the Bible, verse 1. That's called Genesis 1, verse 1. <laughs> High tech, isn't it? It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now we know from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, was the agent of creation. Chapter 1, he created all things, all things are, are for him, by him, sustained by him. And so we see Jesus in verse 1 of the scriptures. Now, now, Genesis 3, turn over there, take a peek. Genesis 3, this is a passage, and uh, sin comes in. And then verse 15, we talked about this a few weeks ago, about, uh, not, again, I'm just giving you a big picture here about how God then addresses Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve to sin. And, and God says, there is one who will come, one of the women, seed of the woman, that will be coming, that will deal you a lethal blow. You will bruise him, but he will deal you a lethal blow blow. Oh, by the way, we know from the gospel of Mark who that was, right? Okay, now let's go to the end of the story and turn to Revelation chapter 21. Doug, but there's 22 chapters, I know, but this one hits it, <laughs> okay? Revelation 21, the end of the story. <clears throat> Pick up verses 1 through 3. 
We're told, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Bring that on. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Bring it on. Look over verse 22 and I saw no temple in the city. That's interesting. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is who? The lamb. The lamb of the truths we were told about in Colossians, the lamb, the incarnate Christ who came all the way in, in the Gospel of Mark uh, to the end of the story. The lamb is there lighting the city of the eternal state. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But that's the beginning and the end, and let me remind you of the middle. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. I'm kind of calling this the middle of the story. From creation to the eternal state, there's a critical uh, item in the middle, if you will, of the story of redemptive history, and that's about Jesus Christ and what we just went through in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, in verses 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are two titles as we've talked about. Verse 4, it's like, bam, John appears. And then verse 9, bam, Jesus Christ, adult, appears. And then turn to chapter 15 of Mark. I love hearing those pages turn. I can't hear the digital slide, though. <laughs> if you can make that sound... Do it. Love that. Chapter 15, Jesus is crucified, forsaken by the Father as a result of bearing our sin. And look at chapter 16, what we did last Sunday, Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ is, or is resurrected from the dead, and the lethal blow has been laid. The lethal blow has been laid. But note this, if you remember from Mark at the end, I think Mark actually ends it right there at verse 8. We don't see the risen Christ yet in the Gospel of Mark. Does he look like him? I mean, is he the same that he was there, but just now in a different seat and in a different place? The, the, the beginning and the end and the middle are all connected. The Old Testament gives us information about a coming Messiah, Christ. In the New Testament Gospels, we see the incarnate Messiah, Christ. In the epistles, we learn more information about the Messiah, Christ. But what about the Messiah, Christ, today? Serious. What does he look like and what's going on? What's happening? 
we spent 30 plus Sundays seeing the incarnate Christ, and he essentially looked like this, right? And what I mean by that is, is, is God in the flesh. I don't know if he was so Americanized looking, but that's not the point. But if you will, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and this has been the picture, and rightfully so. It is the second person of the Trinity incarnate in the flesh, on the earth, walking among, talking among, living among, dying among, resurrected among. But friends, there's a problem today. And the problem today is that we still see this Jesus. You see, we, we, we still picture this today. And I just ask the question, where can we see the risen, ascended, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ today? I mean, where, where can we see that? We, we saw the incarnate in the flesh, the Philippians 2, the, the having emptied himself one, but what about Christ today? How should we be seeing him today? And we have a problem. We see Jesus way too small. And the smallness that we see Jesus carries out in everything that we do. You do work according to how big Jesus is. You do marriage and relationships and dating according to how big Jesus is. You do your finances according to how big Jesus is seen in your eyes. You do life and worship how big you see Jesus. And we are stuck in seeing the, the fantastic, wonderful, incarnate Christ. Oh, but friends... It's too small. Where can we go to get a picture of what the risen, glorified, magnified Christ is? Uh, that's called the book of Revelation. And that's where we're at. And that's what we're doing. So it's time to turn the page and to see the great I am revealed as he is today. And God, with that, I pray as we dive in here for this morning to see you in Revelation chapter 1, that you would just use this to stir us and spur us and help us. You know that we struggle to see you for who you are. You know that. And so I ask that you would help us. Last Sunday, we experienced the magnificence of the resurrection. But it's even more than that. Help us to see you. In Christ's name, amen. Revelation 1, are you there? Awesome. First, we're going to see some things to know about Jesus. And then after that, we're going to see some things that John saw, and then we're going to see what John did, and then we're going to see what Jesus did. So first, what John 
um, uh, some things John has to tell us. Know this, you're going to hear me say next Sunday, and that means for the next two Sundays, a lot as I read through this right now, because I'm leaving a number of things on the table we'll come back to in the coming weeks, but we're going for the purpose today to see Jesus. Here we go, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, more on that next Sunday. Jesus Christ is bringing this revelation, but know this, that on the whole, it is about revealing Christ. That's the ultimate story that's going on. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God the Father gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made, no, he made it known by sending his angel and his servant John, more on that next Sunday, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is a seeing book. This is a book that's going to stir and spur our ability to see and picture. Even today, later on, I'll probably be making mention, like, show us a picture of that. No, I'm not going to today. Engage your mind. Engage your creativity and your picturing. That's what's happening here. That's what John wants us to do. See some things. It's the revelation of Christ. It's unveiling. It's, it's like a magician, and it's like, ta-da! What couldn't be seen before is now unveiled. It's revealed. It's Ta-da! That's what's taking place here. And ultimately, it's about the ta-da of Jesus Christ and unveiling even more of him. Things that we haven't seen before we see now. That's what's so cool about the book of Revelation. There are things in seeing Jesus Christ that nowhere else in the scripture talks to us like that. And we get to see him in ways we've never been able to see him in scripture this special revelation is his. Note in the beginning there, will be more next Sunday, uh, how many things are his. The bond servants are his, or uh, doulos, it's, it's servants, it really means slaves. Uh, his doulos are his, the angel is his, John is his. It's like, don't mess with my stuff, it's mine. These are Jesus's, they're his. By the way, if you're in Christ, you should take great hope in that. You are his. And don't mess with his stuff. <laughs> you are his. More on that next week. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. More on that next week. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. More on that next week. Okay. An amazing kind of a beatitude here, an amazing uh, a blessing that's promised here. The one who reads aloud, that means that, by the way, this letter was to be read aloud to, to these churches, as we'll see here in just a second. And, and can you imagine if you read that part and it stopped and it's like, everybody's going to fight to read it aloud. <laughs> I want to be the one to read it aloud so I can have the blessing. But here's the cool part. It says, blessed is the one who reads this book, this letter aloud, but also blessed is the one who hears. I am telling you, and I would ask you to join me in this, I am praying that God will bless us. Because he says he will if we dive into this. Every person in the church wants to go through the book of Revelation. Every pastor doesn't. It's just the, it's just the truth because of all the weirdness out there. But there's a blessing here 
and I don't want to get freaky, and I don't want to get all kabuki about it, but there's a, there, there's a blessing here in this. And it's here for us to receive, so Lord, we pray, pour out your blessings, however that looks. Read aloud. It was expected to be read to people in churches, to those who hear, but also know those who keep what is written in it. Revelation information was, is given to change our lives. Hear me on that. Because I fear some here in this room are just so interested in the timelines and the data information that you are going to miss this fact. Going through this book is intended to change how you think about and do life. It's not just some information. It's life-changing. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. More on that next Sunday. You got the idea, okay? God has a high priority on churches, by the way. We got enough churches today. No, we don't. Next Sunday. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him. This is epistle-like. Who, who is and who was and who is to come. Isn't that interesting? Uh, uh, here we have John describing the the, the, the the time eternity of God with words that are temporal. I mean, this we're trying to put. More on that next Sunday. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. You got that? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. John. John's the apostle. This is the one that walked with Christ for about three years. You must keep that in mind. The one who is writing this and who we're going to see respond and what he sees, this is the one who knew Jesus Christ for years. He was with the incarnate Christ, walking with him and talking with him and, and, and watching him and hearing him and hanging with him and laughing with him and crying with him. He was with him. And verses 4 and 5 gives a, give us a Trinitarian account of the Godhead here. A grace to you and peace from him. It's God the Father referring here. Uh, secondly, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Seriously, more on that next Sunday. Now we have the Holy Spirit here. And third, and Jesus Christ. The third person of the Trinity. And it tells us, John tells us uh, three things about Christ here that we're to know. Uh, we're to know that he is the faithful witness. That's an important thing to know when this is the one who's revealing unveiled information. It's important to know that he's the faithful witness Jesus Christ is. There's a lot of witnesses, but there is one witness that is ultimately and absolutely dependable. And everything that this witness speaks is faithful. It is true. It is for sure. You can bank on it. I'm not playing a game. It's him. He's the one. It's not me. It's not you. He's the faithful witness. And he's the one unveiling this information. It's true stuff. He's the faithful witness. Also, it says he's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the premier one resurrected from the dead. Being the firstborn from the dead means that if he's the firstborn, there will be many more who are resurrected from the dead. Hallelujah. Patterson says, death is the tyrant that threatens all creation with irreplaceable loss and ultimate meaningless. 
But the one who brings this prophecy, he goes on to say, has dealt with death and has rendered death helpless. I love that. He has rendered death helpless by becoming the firstborn from the dead. He is the first to be born out of the matrix of the penalty of sin. That's our Lord. Third, he's the ruler of kings of the earth. Jesus is absolutely sovereign over the affairs of the world. This is so important to the book of Revelation. It's interesting. We just went through the gospel of Mark, and it didn't look like Jesus was in control of the kings and the leaders, did it? No, actually, when we were going through it, though, one of the things that's being pointed out, he was in full control. They actually had no control over what's going, but yet he's in kind of this submissive, uh, subjected kind of to them a reality. But know this, that's the Philippians chapter 2 thing. He emptied himself, but no, today he always has been the full ruler. All that he is here, boy, when you go back to Mark, and as we get through the end of today, just go back and go, blow my mind. He became the incarnate Christ. He is the ruler. He is the one who's over all things, and yet sometimes he'll even lay a portion of that aside. Uh, I don't even, that's bad theology, the way I just said that. But he will submit himself in a way to where it doesn't necessarily look like he's in full control. Oh, but he is. He did that, that you and I would be able to have redemption made available. Well, some things to know about Christ so far. Jesus Christ is the revealer. He's the one revealing. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead, and he's the ruler of kings. Four more things, John tells us, verse 5, the second part of it. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. More on that next Sunday, verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Just a couple things we see up in in verse uh, 5, he loves us. By the way, just note this, he's not stuck with us. He's not putting up with us. He's not bearing up with us. He loves you. For some of you, you need to hear that again. He loves you. And by the way, that's even more important when we get to the end of chapter 1. When you see the one who loves you. He loves you. He, He has freed us. Those in Christ are freed, as the text says, from our sins by his blood. He loves us. He freed us. Third, he made us. He made us. He made us, look at this, a kingdom of priests to the Father. And not a commune, not a club, not ticket holders, but a kingdom. He made us a kingdom. I like kingdoms. They just sound manly and cool. They just do. I love kingdoms. But notice, kingdom of what? A kingdom of priests. Those who have been through the Hebrew study, your ears are clicking. He's a kingdom of priests, and it's a kingdom of priests to God the Father. Oh, this has such huge Old Testament picture in it. It's, it's a people called out, a people called out having direct access to, sent out as one speaking on behalf of him. We do not need 
a human mediator. And look at uh, John's response to all of that. That he loves us, that he freed us, that he made us. He says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen is like, yes. Yes. Fourth, we see in verse 7 that he is coming. He is coming. This is the theme of the letter. He's coming. The lamb is coming. The one who's the lamb and the lion is coming. The king is coming. He's coming. Uh, also, he is eternal. Essentially, there in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Uh, as the Father is one of the Godhead, so is Jesus Christ. And he is eternal as God the Father is. All of this is great data. And all this is more wonderful stuff to know about Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. He's the revealer. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of kings on the earth. He loves us. He's freed us. He's made us a kingdom of priests, who those who are in Christ. He's coming back, and he is internal. But, Doug, we haven't seen Jesus yet, and you promised. And, in fact, if I look at the top of the sermon notes, page, it says, see Jesus, doesn't it? Where, when are we going to see Jesus? Okay, right now. Here we go. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, more on that next Sunday, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, wait, wait. Trumpets can't talk. More on that next Sunday. Saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And those are the ones that he sends it to. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw. Pause there. I want to note a few things here. If you look at some of the words, verse 9, I, John, this is the apostle John, the one who walked with Jesus, okay, saw him, uh, lived with, uh, in his presence with the others. I, John, verse 10, what I was, I was in. I, John, I was in, and then later in verse 10, I heard. And then verse 12, I turned and I saw. I, John, was in, I heard, I turned, and I saw. Okay, that's where we're going. Verse 12, and then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw. I saw seven golden lampstands. By the way, are, are you picturing this right now? You should be. I saw... Seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Going through both Colossians as well as through the Gospel of Mark, we know that that's a reference to a title of a person coming out of Daniel 7. That's referring to the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. And he sees that one, the son of man. In the midst of the lampstands, are you picturing this? 
in the midst of the land stands this standing one that is like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool. I like that part. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roaring of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Stars are pretty big, aren't they? From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ. This is. Does John ever describe Jesus like this in the Gospel of John? No. Does John ever describe Jesus like this in 1 John? No. Does he ever describe Jesus like this in 2nd? No. Does he describe Jesus like this in 3rd John? No. This is ta-da moment. Ta-da! What has been somewhat veiled is now unveiled, is being revealed in a whole new way. Understand that when we dive into the book of Revelation. There are things that are here that have not been laid on the table before, and this is one of them. Other descriptions have been taking place, but none like this about the Son of Man. Three items are told about. One is seven golden lampstands. Doug, what are they shaped like? What do they look like? What are the... Really? Seven lampstands. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. One like a son of man. Seven lampstands. One like a son of man. And then the third thing are seven... Stars, seven stars. And where is the one like a son of man positioned? He's in the midst of the lampstands. Okay, put that in your head. And it, the text tells us that, that, that in his right hand he holds seven stars. Seven lampstands, how are they? I don't know how they're positioned. Are they referring to the seven lampstands? Listen, does, does it really matter? It's seven lampstands and seven stars, and he's in the midst of them. What are the lampstands? What are the stars? Oh, we could have a whole lot of fun with that, but I'll tell you what, let's hold on in just a little bit. The best thing that takes place is let's let Scripture tell what Scripture is saying. Okay, so we'll see that in just a second, but I want for you to picture what's going on. Three things. There's seven what? 
lampstands, uh, one like a son of what? And then there's seven stars. Okay, now, now all of the conversation outside of that centers on Jesus Christ. Let, let's work through this. Picture this. Look at verse 13. The Son of Man is in the midst of, he's in the, uh, the center of. That means whatever these lampstands are, he's in the midst of them. That means he's in the midst of them. That means they're in his presence. And his presence is in the midst of them. Verse 13 clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. More on some of this next Sunday or the Sunday after. Boy, that sounds like an Old Testament priestly garb. Boy, that, that has some implications. But just, but just picture it. Long robe, golden sash around his chest. Hairs on his head were white like wool and snow. Like, like what does the white mean? Do we really need to define that? He's just giving a picture here. Just look at the picture. And sometimes in reading through, we get off into all these, what each of these things represent and may be true here, but sometimes in all the talk about what this could be, what this might be, what this it's just like, don't miss the picture. Why am I doing it this way? I'm setting us up to go through the book of Revelation and how to read and ponder and think and process. Okay, I just want for you to know, I am seeking to teach you for these coming three Sundays how we are going to approach this book. And we know one thing for sure. There is one like a son of man in the midst of lampstands He's got seven stars in his hand, and so far, he's in the midst of the lampstands. He's clothed in a long robe, golden sash, hair on his head are white. Boom! <laughs> Verse 14, his eyes are like a flame of fire. <sighs> How, are his eyes really on fire? More on that next Sunday. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze such Old Testament. Verse 15, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Wait, 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 wait. The, the, the Bible's inconsistent because just a little bit ago it said he was like a trumpet. So it was like water shooting out? Well, that couldn't be the case because obviously there's a sword that shoots out of his mouth. Well, that has to hurt. Well, what do the waters mean? What do the... So, just get the picture. At this point in time. Have you been like at Niagara Falls or somewhere where the water's coming down? And it's just deafening. And the power you, you just know right there in that moment that if you stepped into the falls, all of my little issues and, and our, our, our things going on were just consumed up by it. 
because it's so much bigger than me, right? Voice of the roar of not a few waters, but many waters. And in his right hand, the right hand matters. Sorry, lefties. Love you. But the right hand has this sense of power in the right hand. Old Testament. And in the right hand are seven stars. Stars. The earth is not a star. What's the closest star? Oh, yeah, the sun. Whoa, seven of them. That's a big hand. This is right hand like massive and the rest of his body really small. That's not the point. In his right hand are seven stars. And from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. I mean, when he speaks, it pierces. It's not a pocket knife. It's not a butter knife. It's not even a one-sided sword. It's like the ultimate sword. And man, when it comes a-flying, wow, it speaks with power and with clarity and with right at it. Verse 16, in his right hand, seven stars, his mouth, sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You look at the sun, but you can't look at the sun. How could he see that his eyes were a fire? <laughs> Why am I not concerned? Doug, what do they all mean? What, tell us about all the symbolism. Okay, I'll tell you what they mean. There's this awesome, awesome one standing in the midst of seven lampstands and he's holding seven stars in his hand and be amazed because this is not some hippie sandaled walking around teacher dude on the islands or in the desert. This is something altogether different. This is the magnified, glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ Whoa! That, that's what this is saying. And so I ask this with that. Is this how you see Jesus? Is this how you, how I, how we see Jesus? Because friends, I promise you this, if I and you and we saw Jesus like this, life would be done differently. And maybe there's someone in this room who's even at a place to where it's like, you know, I've kind of been, uh, been playing some of the religious stuff I call you and I say, it's time to see this. Because know this, this is the one we give account to. This is the one. And John saw it, so what did John do? I've got to wrap it up. Verse 17, when I saw him, by the way, the I, when the I is John, the apostle John, who was with Jesus for all these years. I mean, I don't know. He high-fived him. You know, I mean, 
this is the one who's seen Jesus. If anyone, and it's like, so what's he going to do? He's going to run up to him and go, Jesus, dude, boo hugs, boo, 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 the way you guys do. <laughs> is that what it's going to be? When I saw him, John, that one, I fell at his feet, though dead. Is, is, I just ask you as I read through this, is there any semblance of that in you and I with Christ? What, was there any semblance of that when we sang this morning about the great I am? Any sense of feeling like he is so great, I just need to fall like I'm going to die because he's so great? By the way, uh, uh, John is a redeemed believer in Christ. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. More on that. But he laid his right hand on me. Right hand. But he has all the stars. What did he do? They go. It doesn't matter. He put his right hand on me, saying, John, you knucklehead, you fall so short. I'm so sick and tired of you. Did, do you see this? The one that he was just describing, don't jump back into the incarnate Christ. Stay with the glorified, magnified, resurrected Christ. That one, John falls, like, I'm going to die. And what does this one do? He reaches down, puts his right hand on him. And he says, fear not. I am the first and the last of living when I died and behold. I am alive forever. And I have the keys to death and Hades more on that. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Churches have angels. More on that. And the seven lampstands, they are the seven churches. The seven churches are around. He's in the midst of them. And he's holding these angelos is the word in his right hand. What did Jesus do? He places his right hand on him and he says, fear not. I would think one so magnificent would just crush him. How loving, how gentle, how gracious, how kind. And he told him to fear not and to write. So Pastor Doug, what do we do with this? What are the three application points you're going to give with us to send us off with this? You know, I think there's times where uh, us pastors, just need to step aside. So what are you going to do with it?